What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is episode 65 of Dart Against Humanity. I just came back from my um, my brother's ha- house, you know, family gathering because it was Thanksgiving. You know, it's just beautiful to get to experience that time with your immediate family. When you're an adult, you know, you don't really know how things are going to shake out when you're a kid and you're with your siblings. But now, you know, you're at the end of it now. It's we're adults, grown-ups, 44, you know, my brother's in his 40s, you know, they have their kids, my nephew just turned 20, uh, my niece is 18, so, you know, around the kids and telling stories about when we were growing up, telling stories about them, it's just like a thing that you cherish generation after generation because, again, my mom's no longer around. My father hasn't been. My father has been gone since um, 1998. My mom passed back in 2016. So it's us. We're the old people. I'm like, I explained that in um, the personal um, essays in my book. So, you know, it's just a special thing. Now, you know, and it, again, family, we catch up with everything, uh, talk about what we want to do going forward for the, the Christmas holiday. It's just a beautiful thing that you cherish because not everybody has their family around. Not any everybody has a, a, a support system. Not everybody can go home you to do that. There is a home. You know, like my apartment used to be where everybody came when my mom was still alive. So the family dinners and everything were had here. And now it's somewhere else. Tradition continuing is the important part. That being said, um, the big thing that happened recently is I haven't talked about this yet. So Watchmen, the adaptation on HBO. It's easily one of the best things I've seen, possibly in the, in the last decade, and I like what they've done with it, and I'd like to like talk about it a little bit, explain why. The entire mythos of being a superhero, the entire idea of it is that it was always somebody who was... Uh, trying to avenge someone or somebody who's trying to get justice, who felt they couldn't get it through traditional means. So they become masked or hooded or what have you in order to like achieve that justice they normally couldn't. This is how Zorro was created. This is how the fant- the the stranger was created. You know, all the early superheroes before we even get to like Batman, you know, before we get to a Superman who isn't masked, but is a superhero before we get to like, um, uh, Doc Sampson or like the man of bronze or whoever the fuck that is. And like the early, the, the phantom before we get to the early, uh, iterations of what a superhero is. But I always saw it as who needs protection and justice more than minorities in America.
because I kind of felt that's where like this, the whole superhero uh, creation myth reconstruction would, would come from personally. I always had an idea, like if I got an opportunity to be pitched by um, Marvel, I had this whole idea I wanted to pitch to them and it kind of fell in line with this. So I was like really down and I never would have thought that anybody would have said, hey, we're going to base everything around the um, Black Wall Street 1921 Tulsa riots. What? They're going to let that go on HBO for real? And we're going to base the entire uh, idea and universe and timeline continuum of Watchmen on some black shit like that? Woo! To quote Ric Flair. They've done it. And they've executed very well. And I gotta tell you, some of the stuff I saw is stuff I dreamed that they would do and they've done. I don't want to really go spoiler, super spoiler, but I'm very impressed with the things that they've done, the way they've adapted the further adventures and the things that happened in the universe of um, Watchmen with the uh, Minutemen, you know, with the Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan, you know, the uh, all the heroes, the comedian, all the heroes that uh, followed uh, the enemies like Moloch, the magician, uh, Adrian Veidt, who is Ozymandias. I really like what they've done with the series. I like who they've based the show around, like who they made the principal cast. I think that they, they the casting was brilliant. The ideas behind it is great. You know, making it be the former Silk Spectre is the uh, uh, the focus of the person who's looking to like find people who are fugitives and the idea of making the police pretty much masked because of the danger of the job. It's an inter- interesting um, dichotomy and change. It makes sense. I love it. But basically, to me, it all hinges around when I first read Watchmen, and of course, I think I read it in its original run and um, individual individual episodes, issues like in eighty seven ish, and it would come out before it ended up a, a a trade paperback. So individual issues, and there was this particular panel I'll never forget, where after Doctor Manhattan has been introduced. They try to get the band back together. So the Minutemen and the Watchmen. And it's the 70s or what have you. Or the late 60s. And on the pan- on the list of things to deal with is black unrest. I'll never forget it. And Comedian just comes down and shoots down all their fucking high-minded plans. Because he's like, yo, how the fuck y'all going to deal with this, 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 and this? Because the fact of the matter is, they're going to try to get us up out of here. And we're just regular people. You you somebody with like a, a ship. You know, you got a, you got a like, you got a good right hook. You do this. You do this. But Dr. Manhattan, like he's essentially a god walking earth. And of course, you know that the uh, government's going to try to get us up out of here at some point. 
So we ain't going to be able to do none of this shit. And some of this stuff on this on this list, man, we ain't going to be able to put a dent in at it ever. And one of the things that I always looked at was black unrest because I always thought to myself, what the fuck are they going to do about black unrest? They have nobody who could deal with the black or Latino communities or could or, or look like they did nothing to address the many issues facing, you know, the impoverished black community or the uh, the sheer level of inequality that they face. How are you going to combat that with the lineup that you have through your methods? So I'll never forget that he takes a, like a, um, a cigar and takes it to the board and burns it. And one of the things that falls to the ground is black unrest. And that always stuck with me, always stuck with me. So I was like, if anybody ever adapts Watchmen in the future, that's one thing that I'm going to start with. That memory of seeing that they were, how the fuck was y'all going to address black unrest? And in episode six, it's one of the words that comes up in the episode. And it exactly what I expected to happen or would dream the the direction they dreamed they would go. They went. They went there. And I was just shocked to actually see it happen. Because they really allowed this property to go there. And it was one of those things where I was just like, yo, I can't believe I'm alive to see this. So I'm talking to my brother about it because when the original Watchmen uh, film adaptation happened, I think I explained this before, but I used to work in, um, you know, I used to work in record stores and video stores. And one of the things, one, many, the, one, the many subjects we used to discuss was um, adaptations of film, television, comic books, all these other things and things that would never get made. We <laughs> we grouped Watchmen along with a a bunch of uh, properties that we deemed at the time and we're talking 1998, 99, 2000 to be unadaptable. Like, there's no way they're ever going to make this. We thought that Watchmen was unadaptable for the time. We thought that, like, um, Snow Crash was unadaptable for the time. You know, uh, I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, uh, Sandman. We saw there was no way they were ever going to adapt Sandman. A whole bunch of things. And it's funny because... Watchmen, they ended up adapting that. No, it's out. And I'm just like, yo, this is bananas. There were so many things that we thought that we they would never be able to do, they'd never be able to make, we'd never see in film, television, any format. And, you know, it's just not the case. Because with technology and with the growth of media and the way the space is now, you can do a whole lot of things we didn't think were possible in the past. So that's just one thing that I'm really surprised at how, you know, it's shaking out. And I'm I'm happy for what's going on. Uh, another thing recently happened is 
I'm sure you're all aware of Martin Scorsese's uh, statements about, you know, comic book movies, uh, the MCU, all that other shit. So what he did was he put out the old white man version of Endgame, essentially, um, with uh, his movie, The Irishman. The Irishman kind of tells this, a story, an American history story that a lot of people aren't really uh, too familiar with anymore, given the passage of time and just how many pockets of American history are just really untouched and how a lot of people don't want to go there with certain things because they were removed from them. Our generation, especially Generation X included. And that one thing that this movie is based around is the mob, Teamsters, uh, the story of Jimmy Hoffa and his involvement with this uh, this whole era. That's something that I heard about at the time. It was ending when I was a kid. Like a lot of the people from that era were dying and being found dead 79, 80, 81 and dying off during that era. So I didn't have a connection to that shit. So seeing the things that happened in the 50s, 60s, going into the 70s was interesting for me. And of course, uh, Martin Scorsese has the lineup of like the the first team, all old white man, all-star actors. So I'm seeing Pacino, De Niro. I'm seeing, you know, all their pals and all their like compatriots and all the regulars that Scorsese has, like the usual suspects. Or in the film, you know, you got the cats from just cats who used to rock do the Sopranos. You got Stephen Van Zant in there. Action Bronson has a has a has a role in there. You know, um, Joe Pesci, he he he's up in there. You know, we got uh, uh Bobby Cannavale got a role in there. Um, there's a whole bunch of other people like that you would fully expect to be in there. And it, but the weird part is that. At their advanced age, I love saying that statement, at their advanced age, when you look at a Pacino, you look at a De Niro, you look at a Joe Pesci, um, Pacino and De Niro in particular are have, at some point, they have to play like people in their 30s and 40s, and then they play people their age like they're supposed to be um, elderly, and they are elderly, so it's really weird. There's a scene that stands out. There's a scene where the main, the guy who... The Irishman, you know, who is around a bunch of Italians. He's like used as like a hitman or like, you know, uh, 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 somebody to like, like a henchman, pretty much. Something happens with his daughter at a corner store. Don't want to be super spoilery, but I think this is important because you're going to see it on social media. And he's like, oh, what you what you 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 did this to my daughter. You sh- you shoved my daughter. Oh, no, we got to go to the corner store and we got to fix this. So he takes his daughter by the hand, goes down to the corner store to regulate. And this man in the scene is supposed to be, I guess, his 30s. And the scene comes off completely different because it's a man who's in his mid to late 70s in real life. 
playing somebody in their 30s who's beating the shit out of somebody in the store for disrespecting his daughter. But it just looks like somebody laid down and let an old man whoop their ass. Oh, come here. Let me kick. Hey, let me. Hey, you. Hey, hey, you son of a bitch. Dear, hey, you. And I'm just like. Yo, they couldn't hire, like, they couldn't get a stuntman to do this faster or more efficiently. So there are certain scenes where the violence happens and you're just like, yo, for real, like, this does not look clean. This is not some John Wick shit at all. Like, I would imagine that if you're a professional hitman or if you're somebody that, like, does the wet work and was in the army or something like that, you'd be a little bit more efficient and you can kind of, and growing up with action movies where it's like detailed and you have action choreography and stuff like that. And people kind of look smooth and and graceful and effortless when they do something. So the shit looks cool when it happens. That doesn't necessarily come across to an audience that grew up with MCU films or the John Wick series or anything um Treadstone related, you know, uh, Mission Impossible-esque or, you know, J- Jack Reacher, anything like that. Like you would expect it to look way smoother because but again, this is something Mark Scorsese doesn't care about because he's going to stick with his guys. So there's a little disconnect there. Also, the film is two hours and 30 minutes. And I feel like, uh, no, it's three hours. So I feel like um, there is a bit of a disconnect there with with certain segments of the uh, population and especially generations. I don't mind at all, of course. I was a kid who wanted to, who watched Once Upon a Time in America. I was a kid who used to watch The Deer Hunter with my dad and uncles. I was a kid who one of my favorite things to watch was Apocalypse Now, and I was pissed off I couldn't get the extended version, and I have the extended version on DVD. Uh, The Godfather, Godfather 2. I was so in love with The Godfathers that there you can look it up there used to be this thing called the godfather chronicles that put the first two godfather films in all the scenes in chronological order and it was called the godfather chronicles 1902 to 1959 i promise you this tape existed and my brothers and i got this tape dubbed it and we used to watch the godfather in order and i swear that shit was like five hours and we would just watch it So the idea behind, oh God, this movie is three hours plus. When people actually watched Endgame, which was three hours, but it certain, but but you know, it wasn't a deterrent to that shit making billions. But then people like, oh God. But also it's different because the shit is like an American, it's like an American history film, but with way more violence. And occasionally you see somebody pop up on the screen. They're talking about, hey, so Johnny, Johnny Bags went this and this and this and this. And then you see a little uh, graphic on the screen, uh, caption on the screen. It's like he got shot in the head two times and died on uh, December 26, 1979. And you're like, okay, yeah, we see where this is headed. Okay, this is, yeah, I get it. Word. Yeah. Oh, so we doing that. We doing this. All right, then. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. I get it. I get it. I get it. Word. 
shit. So, yeah, that's like one of the things that happened. So a lot of people are talking about the Irishman and it's just like going up and down the timeline and everybody's making their comparisons. And it's weird because for something that's a historic a film about history, there can be spoilers because a lot of people don't know the story or don't know specifics about the story. And I got to tell you, as much uh, recent American history that I know and a, and a good amount of mob and underworld uh, history, I know I was watching that shit like and of course, I'm watching it not tonight, but the night before when I went to stay over at my brother's because I wanted to be there for Thanksgiving, you know, get up in the morning and whatever. Um, I was watching it and I'm just like, yo, for real? I don't remember this. What? I'm Googling certain people's names because I remember them vaguely. And then I'm looking up like like articles and stories and shit like that. And I'm just like, yo, for real? This happened? Like this person is what? And like some of the things that you might see on screen, you think are exaggerations are holding back on the shit that happened because again you can only cover so much ground even with something being damn near four hours and you know there's there's a sometimes there's a there's a slant to stuff there's a slant to it because it's not like scorsese doesn't has never interacted with or doesn't know some of these people or doesn't know people who know these people and they don't and they damn near don't know him and he kind of has license to tell some of these stories now because motherfucker's been dead for 40 years. Which is another thing that a lot of people miss out on. Like Martin Scorsese benefited a lot from still being alive and being in his station in an elevated place where he can where he can tell these stories and people can probably eh, we'll let him we'll let him ride. Because what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Homie's old. They're all old. Old white guys. Italians. What are you going to do? Hey. But I'm just like, can I tell somebody similar type of stories? Can I get my guy Richie on? But I wouldn't want to tell these stories. I want to tell stories about Boston. That's why you got to get out there and you got to talk to people like, hey, it's been long enough. You know, you you can let some of these stories go, change some of the names, do some shit. You know what I'm saying? But you have to be really committed to doing that job and you got to be really good at it. So people allow you to do it. So they're not it's like, oh, you're just going to fuck our shit up. You're going to tell our story and just like just make the shit corny. You know, you got to do it at a level and be so nice with it that people are just like, hey, hey, what about what about what about this? What about this? You want that. So, yeah, uh, I do love that the holiday season came up right now because it gave me an opportunity to have a writing break. I am writing something really big for my life and future now, trying to line some things up for uh, future projects going into 2020. You know, I'm really, really looking forward to see how things shake out going into the, the future. And, you know, this is just a great time to be alive and to be active and do things because my life has changed a lot over the past year and it can change a whole lot more going in, in in 2020 and I'm looking forward to it and I'm happy that y'all gonna get to see it I mean what else happened recently oh yeah 
So there's been the Boston fandom and them wanting uh, blood. Kyrie Irving was supposed to show up and ideally come to town and face the Celtics with his team, the Nets. And then there was supposed to be a home and home. So the Celtics were going to play the Nets in TD Garden and then go to Brooklyn, the Barclays Center, and play them again. It was supposed to be the new the Celtics now without Kyrie Irving and with Kemba Walker playing the Nets with led by Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving was hurt and didn't come to Boston. The Boston fans booed him and called him names and had chants, which I think was over the top. I personally feel like the Boston fans should stop chanting about Kyrie and start chanting for Kimba and Jason and Jalen and Marcus Smart, you know, as opposed to it's like my my younger brother says, it's like always talking about your ex when you claim that you, and you're doing great in life and you got a and you got a new relationship that's going really well. The people are like jealous of. But you keep openly talking about your ex that you're over, that you you had a toxic relationship with. Like, why? Move the fuck on. And I totally, I get that. And it just got to be a lot last night. I'm just like, yo, y'all are up by double digits. Your team's performing well. Everybody's evolving past what you thought. You lost so many players. The Celtics lost Al Horford. They lost Aaron Baines. They lost Terry Rozier. They lose Kyrie. They don't get AD. And they're still 13-4. and And the losses that they had were close. I believe they lost uh, their road trip. They lost three of their four games. And they lost those three games by eight points to West Coast teams. Like, mind-blowing and they went into overtime versus the Clippers you know it's just like you're like come on fam like you enjoy the success that you have in front of you and don't worry about who's not around when they weren't even you know the right fit for the franchise and there were people complaining that it makes the Boston uh, fans look petty it does make them look petty I feel as though you know it's unwarranted he did us a favor by leaving let's celebrate it and let's go ahead and celebrate the people on the court rather than the people who didn't who left and made us better by um subtraction it was addition by subtraction so that's pretty much my feeling in that regard (sighs) yeah man um but I've been doing a fair amount of writing and in the writing, I'm trying to strike that um, that nerve. I'm trying to find a way to relay my passion and my love for something to someone that may or may not have it or care. So I'm trying to like, Not even convert somebody because the intro of a book is kind of like the synopsis. What is it 
why should you read this book? Why does this book exist? Why did I, why did the author think that this is something that we need to touch on? Why do I feel there's a void that needs to be addressed? What am I going to, what, 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 what story am I going to relay to you? How am I going to relay it to you? What examples am I going to use? Because I said in a previous episode when I was talking about the magic of writing, the magic of writing for me is something I'm passionate about, something I care about, something I have, I have a, a deep understanding and knowledge of. And I'm going to relay it to someone who isn't interested, doesn't care, doesn't know it exists, does not share my affinity for it going in. But how I lay it out, Oh, shit, that sounds interesting. And I may not have won them over, but that alone piques their interest. And then they go deeper and they go deeper and they go deeper. And now you're learning something. It's kind of one of those things with film. You're not thinking about that movie. You're not thinking about a movie of that subject. You're not thinking about anything of that idea. You see the trailer. The trailer has won you over. All right, now I'm interested. I might go see that. The second trailer comes out. Oh, oh, shit. Or the marketing. We gonna go see that. Didn't care before. Didn't have didn't have an inkling about it. Didn't care about the, the, the idea of it beforehand. But now you're on board. This is the thing I'm trying to get across in the intro of the book and also when you're trying to uh sell it in the proposal to somebody because again the idea is to get somebody to believe in it like you do or as much as you do or at least to see the value in it to go forward with it this has to exist it's like pitching a movie idea or pitching a tv show hey sell me on this And when you deal with something like culture or art that you feel is essential to life and the spirit and the timeline continuum history that people should know and need to know and it needs to be addressed, that's all well and good. But if you can't sell it as a sellable viable commodity that you think other people are going to care about and spend money on and it might spread and become a thing, then eh, there's a whole lot of stuff that, you know, has cultural importance. That shit don't have documentaries. There's no film, there's no film, television, TV shows, uh, college courses about it. Why? Because about the valuation and valuation and how it's valued often comes down to the marketing, the selling, the pitch. So here I am, somebody who always has to fight with somebody else who may not see the value in something culturally because they don't see it themselves and I always have to Drag them over the finish line. 
always have to get them there. But that's the job I signed on for. And when you're an idea person, this is what you have to do. Yeah, it's all it's like the idea behind, yo, you could be a great battle rapper, but can you make music that reaches people the same way? Otherwise, you can only go one way. Cannabis, amazing lyricist, don't want to hear his albums. You don't want to be that person. You want to be the person that's um, versatile and can go from here, 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 here. They could do it all. And I've been in so many different spaces out of necessity because doing one thing had me broken almost, you know, on edge. So I was able to branch out and do other things and be good at it. So now I'm in this space I'm in now with an opportunity to do something big and God damn it, I'm going to get it done. And the beauty of it is that I get to talk about it without talking about it now. And there could be a time this podcast can be in its fifth season and I could still be doing it and I can look back, go back and listen to the previous uh, episodes of this podcast and know where I was in life and where I progressed and how I progressed and how I spoke it into existence from back then. Right now, I'm just walking around in my living room into an iPhone XR. There was a time I was doing this podcast talking into an iPhone 7. Progress. I didn't have a book out back then. Progress. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing on the podcast. I kind of have an idea now. I mean, I got another podcast. Progress. But yeah, I really hope that when I do season five, I'm in a whole nother place in life, a whole nother station in life. And I'm, and I'm almost about to like evolve even more. And I'm glad that you're around and you get to experience that. A lot of people ask me, it's like, yo, um, so when are you ever going to have guests on Dart Against Humanity? Depending on how things go, season five could be the season where I have guests. It's going to be a short season again. This going to be 15 episodes. I feel like was going to end in February 2020 and then the break's going to happen. And then the season five goes until um, the 100th episode. And then we'll figure out what happens with this with this whole thing um, from there, man. Um, Let's see. Is there anything I haven't touched on yet? So 28th, so 28th Friday. This seems like it might be again the 25th anniversary of esque of um the Jungle Brothers done by the forces of nature. Although that album might have come out sooner and taken longer to enter the charts because again there was no breakout single for it. If you look in the if you look in the black music charts and Billboard, you don't see the Jungle Brothers single pop up, you know, now. And typically when an album is like doing numbers, when it comes out, it's because there was a single on the black music charts or the rap charts, which were new in March nineteen eighty nine and you know had been around months by, you know, November, December 1989, where at least there was a song on those charts moving, which means it was getting played on radio enough 
where it was going to affect the sales of the album. You know, just the album being out ain't enough if there isn't something that's out moving it. So, I don't know. Let me... Currently, my thing is stuck in Word. Because I've just been writing, 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 writing. I gave myself a hard deadline because it helps you going forward. Get organized and like, look. I have to get it done by now because you almost have to. There's times when you don't have a hard deadline and people are just waiting for the finished result. And sometimes you just have to give yourself a deadline in order to force yourself to get it done. So that's one thing, you know, that I look that, that I've had to do. Very interesting. Another thing is that when you've experienced some level of um, success, you have to do different things to motivate yourself, to get self-motivated. Or oh, One of my early motivations was, I don't want to die and I need this money. So I could write, 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 write nonstop because pretty much I was writing strictly for survival. You know? churning stuff out. Now, when you're not stuck in absolute on the fringes survival mode and I need this check to come in now, otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be fucked up out here. You know, I'm in dire straits. Then you have to find different ways to motivate yourself. You know, because it's not like you're not looking at. How do I explain it? You're not looking at your uh, your bank account like if this doesn't come through, I might not make it through the winter because this net 30, net 60 shit, um, fam, I don't know I'm going to make it. When you look at your account and you're like, I'm waiting on more money from stuff I've done. So why do I need to push myself? I'm pretty good right now. There were times when I wasn't. And one thing that I do in order to like keep track of my spending and what's going on and how and if I'm like, you know, getting to the danger zone, what I do is when I get a big when I get a big check or a big paycheck, what I do to monitor how long it's been is I take every receipt from when I got paid and put it in a bowl right on my table. And I have my statements in another basket right in front of it. So I see where my account is at and I see how long it's been since the last big check by how the amount of receipts are in the bowl. And what happens is when I get the next big check or the next big payment, I clear out that entire bowl and I throw that in the trash. And then I start over and then I get the new statement and I put that on top. So if I want to know it's been a minute since I got the last big check, all I do is just like, bam, I look over and I see that pile of receipts. But then when the money comes in and that it, and those advances come or whatever, or, or that shit gets credited to the account, take all that out, bam. And when that uh, stat gets bigger, 
that's when I'm in attack mode. That's when I'm, um, you know, I'm focused. And the thing is that what happens when you're not, when you don't have to be in survival mode? How do you motivate yourself to keep going? And that's something that, you know, there's only recently that I've ha- actually had. Oh, woe is me. Only recently that's something that I've actually had to deal with. So I'm um, looking at the December 2nd, 1989 uh, pop album charts. I've discussed this before. Um, what's new here? I believe, yeah, the new thing in the third base at 150. Let me just run down this one. What's new? Babylon AD, what? Eddie Money, Greatest Hits, Eddie Money, what? Olivia Newton-John, Warm and Tender, I don't remember that shit. Hooters, Zigzag, all right, whatever. Jody Watley, You Want to Dance with Me, that's the Dance Remix album. It's the Pop Charts. Jermaine Jackson, Don't Take a Personal, I mentioned this one last time. Third Base, 150. Randy Travis, Old Time Christmas, uh. Roy Orbison, A Black and White Night. Uh, the Scorpions, Greatest Hits, it's Christmas, man. Uh, Rod Stewart, Storyteller. This is another thing I think I explained before about my issues with Christmas. And Christmas music is the only genre of music that's seasonal. You only play it between November 25th and December 25th. And after December 26th comes around, you take the entire uh, Christmas, uh, the Christmas aisle or the Christmas section. And you put that shit right back in that special closet until next year. It's the only genre of music that retail rams down your throat. The last week of November, all the way through almost the entire month of December, and then they abandon it. There's no such thing as New Year's Eve music. There's no such thing as Easter music. There's no such thing as Thanksgiving music. All right? Again, back in the days when we were kids, when we only had the the uh, the networks and VHF, VHF UHF. All of us were super excited about specials, the late night specials, um, the cartoons that came on. Because, again, it wasn't like ne- like when we had cable, when you could watch cartoons, there was no cartoon network. You know, you, cu- you couldn't go on demand. So if they aired special programming, it was big. And this happened usually during the holiday season. Holiday season meant the Thanksgiving specials, the Christmas specials. And then they had the Easter specials, but the Easter specials were, I, I'll keep it a buck. Um, the Easter specials were depressing. There weren't a lot of Christmas, um, Easter specials that you're like, oh, word. It's Easter, Charlie Brown. Nigga, what? Hmm? Uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas, we all want to see that. The Thanksgiving special, the one that we like to make fun of on Twitter, that exists. That's a that's a very real thing. But fam, fam, there's no there's no other genre of music that's seasonal like that that actually generates revenue like Christmas music. Um, you could Santa Super Slay, something they made fun of on um about a boy. So now I'm on December second, uh. New singles, Yo Mr. Patti LaBelle, Let the Rhythm Pump, Doug Lazy, I think I mentioned this before, Two to Make It Right Seduction, um, Tender Lover, Babyface, Power Pick, Two to Make It Right by Seduction, um, Get On Up by Fast Eddie, what? Be My Twin, Brother Beyond, 
what the fuck am I talking about? Um, Ruby Turner is going to be all right. D-Mob, come on and get my love. I remember that. Um, De La Soul, Say No Go, which was a relatively... Simon Harris, the legendary Simon Harris. Another monster jam, I've got your... Um, real life, let's fall in love, bleeding babies. Yeah. Electric dance by Jungle Crew. Michelle A, no more lies. Do 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 Tyree featuring JMD, move your body. Man, man, D Mob's a little bit of this. Felly of SBK Recording Act, Technotronic made her stateside debut at New York Night Spot, The Tunnel, where she performed the Axe crossover smash Pump Up the Jam. Funny because that wasn't her singing. I'm not the man I used to be by Fine Young Cannibals. I mentioned that before. So, yeah, man. Uh, scrolling through this, the Jungle Brothers, they did not have a single. Rolling Stones were touring with Living Color. Holy shit. They sold out at a, a hundred. In 19,856 seat capacity arena, uh, Fair Park Cotton Bowl Stadium, Dallas. Then they sold out the Superdome in New Orleans, which was 59,339, the Rolling Stones in Living Color. Then they sold out, what's this, the Astrodome in Houston. How many people was that? It says 52,278. Jesus Christ. Motley Crue and Warrant. They were selling out 14,000 seat arenas. These dudes were selling out 100,000. Well, if you rolled the Rolling Stones tour with Living Color, what kind of a look was that? Jethro Tull was selling out a 7,000 seat arena. Motley Crue and Warrant, 9,200. 9, really? What? The Judds and Jonathan Edwards sold out a 6,800-seat arena. That was... What? What were the tickets? $18. But that was a big take. But I'm looking at this board. It's the Amusement Business Box Score Top Concert Grocers. These dudes generated... That's $3 million for that show. $3.4 million for that show. $1.6 million for that show. one point four eight million for this show seats tickets are at 2850 each andrew dice clay comes in east did half a mil but he was selling 20 dollar tickets and he packed in an arena that held or wasn't a sellout it was a twenty nine thousand capacity and he got twenty seven thousand two hundred ninety seven he didn't even sell the shit out but yeah man when you go back and you look at this the numbers for some of these things man Mind-blowing. I'm in awe of reading this. Again, I'm just scrolling down. There's the power playlist. But that's country. This is hot country. Oh, I don't even want to repeat this. Album releases. Orange Juice Jones to be immortal. On Columbia. I don't remember this album ever existing. I don't know who the hell that is. I just saw a list of people. I don't even know who these people are. I'm scrolling down. I'm trying to find any new age albums. I don't know any of these groups. Well, Peter Gabriel. 
I've heard of. Yanny. He was on the dance charts too. I've never heard of Ray Lynch. John Tesh, Garden City. I know John Tesh. Enya, Watermark, Tangerine Dream, Lily on the Beach. That's all I know. And apparently these people were making money. Top video discs. Gone with the Wind, Lawrence of Arabia, Rain Man, Scrooged. Alright, yeah. Mm-hmm. Home video. I'm going to end here. License to Kill featuring Timothy Dalton. Home video. When Harry Met Sally. Order cutoff date, November 28th. Street date, December 14th for the uh, home video. Wow. Batman. Big video cassette sales. Who Framed Roger Rabbit's the top one. Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814's Still Hot. New. New Kids on the Block Hanging Tough Live on CBS. Above the Law starring Steven Seagal. 1995. New. And Champions Forever with all the wrestlers. I mean with all the boxers. From 1989. And they brought back Batman the movie from 1966 at the great bat price of 19.98 by CBS Fox. All right, so and the video track. I'm just going to mention this and then stop. Um, Quincy Jones is back on the block with a new album. The first video features Ray Charles and Shaka Khan. David Kellogg directed "I'll Be Good to You," a cover of the Brothers Johnson hit. The Squeak Pictures. Production features performance clips and a choreography of Maurice Hines, Pam Tarr, executive produce, David Glean produce. Wow. Hmm. The B-52's new video, Rome. They shot Quincy Jones back on the block in Los Angeles. And it's interesting because uh, uh, if you go to Netflix, they just reintroduced... Uh, the Quincy Jones documentary, Listen Up, The Lives of Quincy Jones. I, Why don't I just look up when when that film was released? Listen Up, The Lives of Quincy Jones. Then I'll just end it here. Listen Up, The Lives of Quincy Jones. Because the 30th anniversary should be up around now. Listen up the lives of Quincy Jones. It says the initial release was October 3rd, 1990. It was that much longer after the album? Because. Interesting. Back on the block, Quincy Jones. When did Back on the Block come out? Why would Listen Up come out so much longer after the. Back on the block, Quincy Jones, is, that has to be wrong. November 8th, 1989. So the album came out November 8th, 1989. Nobody wrote about it. And the film came out a year later. That can't be right. I feel like there's something wrong there. I got to research that. That might be what I talk about next week. Anyway, this has already gone long. I really wanted this one to be 45 minutes. I failed. Then again, you know, everybody's probably got the itis. Everybody's knocked out from um, Thanksgiving. And who knows who's actually listening to this. Then again, people overseas, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. We celebrate Thanksgiving. So, you know, they'll appreciate this because they probably got to work tomorrow or today. Either way, thanks for listening. 
one.